You know the story of the prophet Elijah? And he did battle with the 400 prophets of Baal, right? It was 400 of them, and there was a drought in Israel, the northern kingdom. And he challenged them to a duel. We'll see who God really is, Baal or the God of Israel. And they had a sacrifice made, and then they called down to see if fire would consume the sacrifice. And so the 400 false prophets couldn't do anything. And then Elijah called down fire from heaven after pouring all the water on the wood and the sacrifice. And of course, it was in the middle of a drought. So water had been precious. And then he slew the 400 false prophets. So King Ahab, this is in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, verse 1 and following. We're going to go to verse 13. So the king Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done, and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him. And said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was this at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb the Mount of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And it goes on. Where does one find God in our busy, dysfunctional world? And oh, our our, our world is dysfunctional, isn't it? 
And of course, when we ask that question, where is God? God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, right? He's just everywhere. And then we're also taught that Jesus, who is head of the church, he's present in the words read at Mass. He's present in the person of the priest. That's why we priests are going to get judged the hardest, and we should. He's present in the priest when he especially administers the sacraments. He's present in our neighbor in a very, very special way. He's present in the poor. And I have to tell you this Mother Teresa story. If a friend of mine went to a men's conference in Wisconsin, and I think this guy who spoke, I think he was from Wisconsin, and I think he was a plumber. Let's just call him Joe. Joe the plumber. And he decided on his own, I'm going to Calcutta, Italy, uh, uh, Calcutta, India, and I'm going to see Mother Teresa. I'm going to work with Mother Teresa. Now, it, when Mother Teresa was alive, it was really popular and vogue to go to India and work alongside Mother Teresa. And a lot of atheists did that, and a lot of them became Catholic, working with Mother Teresa. But anyway, it was really a popular thing to do. So as any other place, you only have a certain number of beds, certain number of slots. You need to call ahead. You need to make a reservation. But this guy, he just bought a passport or, and, and a ticket, and he just, boom, he goes. So he gets there and knocks on the door, and sister opens the door, and he says, Hi, I'm Joe the plumber, and I'm here to work with Mother Teresa. And she says, did you call ahead of time? Well, no, I'm Joe the plumber. I just thought I just got a plane ticket and I'm here and I'm a plumber and I'm gonna, I want to help Mother Teresa. And she says, Mother Teresa's not even here. She's out of the country. And we don't have room for you. She just kind of looked downcast and I guess they needed some, they must have had some plugged toilets or something because they made room for him and he's working and He's kind of bummed out that Mother Teresa's not there. So one of his last, last, last days there, early, early, early in the morning, he hears a faint little on his bedroom door. He opens it up, and it's Mother Teresa. And she says, hey, Joe, I hear you want to work with me. Oh, I do, I do, I do. Follow me. And so, boom, she's off. And he's struggling to put his shoes on, and he finally catches up with her, and she's going down these... It's a very poor area. And following her, and then she goes down this embankment to this polluted creek. And there's this guy laying there in the odor. If you've ever smelled death, dead body, you never forget what that smells like. So this guy had rotting flesh on his extremities, maggots, worms, pus, awful. And Mother Teresa scoops up his head, lifts up his head, and his eyes open up. He's alive. And so Mother Teresa looks at Joe and says, Pick him up. <laughs> what? Pick him up. We're taking him back. And this guy said, I didn't want to touch this guy. He had all this pus, maggots, and he smelled like death, and 
of course, he was scrawny. He didn't weigh much because he was emaciated from being starved. So this guy did this. In order to pick him up because he didn't want to touch him. And he's kind of holding him away from his body. And they get him back. And he thought to himself, I'm done. So Mother Teresa looks at him and says, give him a bath. What? Bathe him. And this guy didn't want to touch him. So he gets him in this pool. And this guy's so weak and he's dying. And so he's falling underneath the water. I mean, this is a big pool. So this guy says, I got to touch this guy. And so he starts really cradling, cradling him in his arms like this. And then he looks in the guy's face. He looks in his eyes. In a split second, he saw the very face of Jesus Christ. It was like a, a snapshot. Boom, boom. And he saw the face of Jesus, and his eyes got this big. And Mother Teresa walked in the room at that time, and he sees this look on Joe's face. And Mother Teresa said, you saw him, didn't you? Yeah. I saw the face of Jesus. And she says, that happens a lot around here. Changed his life. Matthew 30, 25, 31, 46. Everything you do to least, you do to Jesus. So Jesus is present in a very, very special way in the poor. So when people help CSS, St. Gianna's, they do it because they love Jesus, because Jesus is in these poor people and these ladies and their children. We also meet Jesus directly in the sacraments. Where do we meet Jesus most directly on this planet? The sacraments. And most intimately in the blessed sacrament. But all that said, the best, best way we encounter God is like the prophet Elijah in silence. So this is this book that Father Hadavi recommended. So I went out and bought it. It's by Cardinal Sara. He, he also wrote another book, God or Nothing. So this book is called The Power of Silence. And he's asked a bunch of questions by a man named Nicholas Diet. Diet? Diet? And the very first question that he asked Cardinal Sara in this, in this book is, how can someone really be in the image of God? And he answers this way. We must enter into silence. We encounter God only in the eternal silence in which he abides. He asks this question, have you ever heard the voice of God as you hear mine? God's voice is silent. He goes on to say, at the heart of a man or woman, there's an innate silence. For God abides in the innermost part of every person. There's no place on earth where God is more present than in the human heart. And the heart is God's abode, the temple of silence. Now, since this is true, now you know why the devil hates silence. 
and tries to prevent us from having silence, and once in silence, tries to distract us. He does everything he can do to try to distract us when we're in silence. Cardinal Sara says, Solitude is the mountain we must climb. He further points out that transubstantiation, that's at Mass, the miracle of miracles on this planet, where a priest says those words of consecration, this is my body, and silently there's a change. Looks like bread, tastes like bread. It's not bread. It's literally the flesh and blood of our Lord. Now, um, someone mentioned kolaches to me earlier. And I uh, used to when Father Kane was in Morris Bluff. Have you ever been to Morris Bluff? You know where that's at? It's Cross River from North Bend. So he was, would do his guard duty once a month. And I'd go there having Mass. And there was a woman in the parish. Her name was Nadine. And uh, she had one of those uh, elevator hairdos like my aunt used to have. And uh, she made kolaches. And her license plate was kolache. I happen to have her recipe, by the way. And when she knew I was coming, there'd be a plate of kolaches on the sacristy counter. And she really made the best kolaches. They were, sorry, Grandma, they were better than yours. My check, Grandma. Sorry, Grandma, but they really were. And um, so I'd say, knowing that her license plate was such and such and so and so, I'd say, oh, Nadine, you should have kolache on your license plate. I do, I do. So one day I came and there were two plates of kolaches on the sacristy. Two plates. You know, the catechism says it's not gluttony until it starts coming out your nose. Don't tell a bishop I said that. So I got these two plates of kolaches, and so on Sunday I'm I'm uh, driving back home, and you know it's a funny thing about my car. I'd be driving through Prague, and that engine light goes on and starts shaking. I'd have to pull over, eat duck dumplings and sauerkraut at the kolach corner, and then my car was fine. So I'm driving by uh, Prague, and by golly, the engine light goes on, and and I. Uh, I got to pull over. Don't ask me how many kolaches I already ate. Two or three. So I pull over. So I immediately scan the crowd to see if there's anyone I know. And there was this couple about my age sitting down eating duck dumplings and sauerkraut. I don't know who they are. They don't know who I are. But I don't. Am I? And I don't know anybody in there. So the shy man I'm not. I see they're at the they're at the bar, not at a table. So I says, hey, is that bar stool taken? He says, nah, sit right down, Father. So I knew they were Catholic, so I sit down. I says, what are you kids doing here? I said, we're celebrating our anniversary. Why here? Well, 20 years ago, we got engaged at the Bohemian Cafe. They closed it in Omaha. Dumplings and crowd tonight at the Bohemian Cafe. Plenty of parking. that You know, so I, I used to go there. I was a little kid with my dad. We'd wait for a big duck dinner and for the family, put it in a big pan, and I'd have a Shirley Temple until I noted I really should be having a Roy Rogers. 
So there they were. So now I'm thinking to myself, how selfish I am. It's our anniversary. They like bohemian food. I have two plates of clutches in the car. I shouldn't be selfish. They'll help me out here. I won't commit the sin of gluttony. So I says, you know, it's your, I've got an anniversary present for you. Oh, you do? Yeah. I'll be right back. So I go to my car and I give them the clutches. You know, we were getting along so well and found out that they were from Omaha. I grew up from Omaha. We grew up a mile apart. They knew friends that I knew, but we didn't know each other. We went to adjoining Catholic high schools. And our relationship at that point, we're riding like this high. Until it was a Sunday. Until I asked him what mass they went to. And I kid you not, I exaggerate not. The husband said, well, Father, you see, um, uh, and, I, and I'm thinking to my spit it out. Well, just spit it out. Tell me. Well, uh, you see, uh, uh, we have a cabin on a sand pit here. And, uh, well, uh, you see, uh, Father, when we, uh, when we come up to the cabin, uh, we don't go to Mass. And then they turn away from me, and they move their plates, and they turn away. And I'm I'm a sinner. I'm affected by original sin, too. And when they did that to me, the first thing I thought was, why did I give them that second plate of kolaches? It was very awkward, and I'm sitting right next to him. So after eating about a half a dumpling and a few bites of duck, I, I turned and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? And the guy turned and said, yeah, well, not as it's, long as it's not about going to church. And I said, when you receive Holy Communion, what are you receiving? And immediately he said, the body of Christ. And so I said, now wait a minute. Are you telling me, so you've got to be a little actor or actress here. Are you telling me that's what you're really literally receiving? That the bread turns literally in the flesh and blood of Christ? Isn't it more of a symbol and you receive the body of Christ symbolically and it's just a piece of bread? Yeah, that's right. It's a piece of bread. It's just a symbol. And I said, bingo, I knew that. It's no symbol. And then I planted a few seeds, and we ended up very nicely. But I said, that's why you're missing, because if you had that faith that it was really Jesus, you would never miss. Not to mention the fact it's 60% of Catholics have no faith in the real presence. Did you know that? And also, I'm ashamed to tell you this. Don't tell your pastors. I mean, you don't have to tell them this. But I didn't know this until I started the seminary. And what I'm going to tell you, a lot of people don't know. And this is about one of the most important things of our faith. When I joined the seminary, the vocation director said, Hey, Kubat, see how smart you are. Why is the Mass a sacrifice? Why do we call it the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass? I just should have said, I don't know. 
Huh. I tried to make something up, and he let me talk. He said, you don't know. It's all prefigured in chapter 24 of Exodus. That's why it's so important to know the Old Testament. So Moses, he's got the stone tablets. Scripture, Ten Commandments are part of Scripture, right? And so he comes down from the mountain and he reads it and explains it. That's the readings, gospel, and homily. And then what does he do? He sacrifices an oxen and they eat the flesh. St. Paul says that when we offer Mass, we recall the Lord's death until he comes again. But that word in Greek means you remember something as it's made present. So our Lord dies on the cross one time and he rose from the dead one time. But those same events are made present on the altar of the Mass. We're at Calvary. We're at the tomb. Those events are made present. Really. That's what the Mass is. And so many Catholics have no idea what the Mass is. So if they knew we were at the crucifixion and the resurrection, and that's what faith is, it's when the Holy Spirit downloads information in your mind, and it has to be, the person has to be open and humble. We're given faith when we're baptized. It's like a little seed when we, when we cooperate, it grows. If we don't, it won't. Remember when Mary, she conceived Jesus and she went immediately to visit Elizabeth? So Mary's coming up that hill to greet Elizabeth. Elizabeth said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it that the mother of my Lord is here to see me? How did Elizabeth know that? Did she get an email? Did she get a text? Did she get it off of Facebook? Of course, all your personal information goes to a lot of places. Did she get a letter? It says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit puts knowledge in her mind. And it was downloaded in her mind. And she knew that Mary was pregnant. Joseph wasn't the father. That it was God. The father was the father. It was the son of God, the Messiah. The mother of my Lord, the mother of my God is here to visit me. That's what faith is. It's a gift. It's the most precious gift we have. So we encounter God in silence, and the silence, transubstantiation, and the sacrifice of Christ and his resurrection made present on the altar occurs in silence. All these great works are done imperceptibly in silence. And the cardinal says, silence is not an absence, it's a manifestation of a presence, the most intense of all presences. Now, why did the church fathers and so many of the early, early church, and not just men, but some women too, they went off to the desert. They did it for two reasons. One, to encounter God in silence and also to do battle with Satan because he tries to distract us. Cardinal Sara, in one of his um, places in this book, talks about Martha and Mary. We all know that story from Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and following. So there's Martha. 
we can identify with her, right? She's in the kitchen making... Boy, that was low, you know that? <laughs> Lamb chops and honey balls. I don't know. And Mary, she was at the feet of Jesus, and Martha was not happy and complained to Jesus. Look at me. I'm doing all this work myself. Tell her to help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious, troubled about many things. There's one thing that's necessary, and Mary has chosen the better part. She may not be denied. And he points out that Jesus did not rebuke Martha for being busy in the kitchen. After all, she did have to prepare the meal. But a very inattentive interior attitude betrayed by her annoyance with her sister. So the lesson, you know what the lesson is here. We should always make sure to be Mary before we're Martha. Remember what Mother Teresa said to that priest? who was really taken back. Thank God for that moment. Probably saved his priesthood. I thought you were going to ask me about my works of charity. And Mother Teresa said, I wouldn't be able to do anything if I didn't spend time first with Jesus for three hours. Psalm 131, verse 2. It's important to calm and quiet the soul. Then he says this. Every day. Now, I realize that as I look out here, I don't see Carmelite monks and sisters and cloistered sisters. and You're all in the world, active. So you're not called to hours of silence every day. But he said for all of us, every day, it could be five minutes, it could be ten minutes, fifteen. It's important to be silent so as to determine the outlines of our future action. You know, that's separate from the rosary. And here's a neat story. I told this older person, I won't even tell you if it's a man or woman. Sometimes I'll say that and then I'll slip up and say he or she. Very holy person. Mass every day. Rosary every day. Holy hours. But you know what this, and I almost slipped and said the gender. This person would make a holy hour. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. And then they do this and then do that and do this and do that. And the rosary, that, that, that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't you going to have a little quiet time and talk to the Lord? When I make a holy hour, first 20 minutes or so, I don't say a word. I don't know what my breviary of course, uh, I say oftentimes my office on my phone, and I think people by now know that we're not surfing major league scores. We're saying our bravery prayers. And uh, it really helpful when you travel. You don't have to take that extra book. But, and, then, and then you hope your phone doesn't die. But it's like going to Grandma's for Thanksgiving dinner. She opens the door, you go right past her and start eating. Aren't you going to say hi? I have a relative. <clears throat> this relative's um, probably early 40s. And I, I saw her 
about a month ago, not practicing her faith. And she told me that when she gets home from work, she turns on TV. She may not watch it, but she just needs this background noise, music, programs, and her husband doesn't mind. And and I talked to her about silence. She says, it's my house and it's my life and it's my... See, when you're a prophet's not without honor, uh, except in their own family, right? And I can't tell her anything. It's a niece. To this aspect, which is a lot of people, Cardinal Sar responds, we can become accustomed to permanent background noise, which reassures but sickens us. It becomes like an addictive drug. And we all know what happens to an addict when he or she tries to give up whatever they're addicted to. Then he said this about popular music. Now, we all know about popular music, don't we? What it glorifies, things that are immoral, right? And I read this, and I think that was my dad telling me to turn this hophead music off when I was younger. I don't listen to bad music now, but popular music, it's just terrible, isn't it? Well, this is what Cardinal Sara, this is kind of humorous. He says, popular, tasteless music is performed in an uproar, a pandemonium of shouting, a diabolical, exhausting commotion. It makes a person drunk with emptiness, confusion, and despair. The wonders of creation are silent and can only be admired in silence. A painting, a sculpture, even great music. And there is music that's uplifting. He says this, silence is our greatest freedom. Isn't that an interesting statement? Silence is our greatest freedom. And I would say myself, it's one of our biggest cha challenges because we live in a noise-filled world. And, and as I says, it's really tough when you have an active family and all that, but sometimes you can get five minutes here, five minutes there, put yourself in the presence of God and have a little silence. And those that are married, you can say, Hey, honey, what? What do you want? You want something called me, honey? Why don't you watch the kids? I'm going to go to the chapel and do a, an hour with the Lord. And part of that hour, I just sit there. Famous story of St. John Vianney. There was this guy that would just sit there in the front of his church, and he wouldn't do anything. And he asked him one day, he says, what do you do? What are you, what are you doing there? He just sit there. He says, I don't know. I just look at him, and he looks at me. I'm so proud of all of you. You spent a lot of time in, in silence with our Lord this afternoon, and I pray that we all have a bit more silence in front of the Blessed Sacrament before the treat's over. And since God is mercy itself, and what do I mean by that? Don't tell people that Father Kubat said God doesn't have mercy. I mean, he has mercy, but technically, philosophically, when you say, I have this book, it means there was a time I didn't have it. 
So technically, God doesn't have love or mercy, etc., 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 because he is those things. Those characteristics are actually part of his essence. He is those things. I'm not mercy. I'm not love. I can have those things, but I'm not those things. He is those things. So I pray that all of us, since God is mercy itself, in silence may we grow in acknowledgement that God truly, truly desires to forgive the sins of all his children. And tomorrow night, or tomorrow morning rather, we'll discuss some of the challenges that the pitfalls, the, the challenges that we have to overcome in when we climb that mountain of silence.